Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 16th of April. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow, and it's great to be back after a few weeks' break, isn't it, Giselle? I'm You're smiling. I'm very away. confident that no one's missed you, Pierre. <laughs> uh, that's right, Giselle. When you go away in, in, from next week, no one will miss you, so that's no problem. We shall see. I think I think the listeners quite enjoy my dulcet tones. Um, we're taking you through to 9.30 this morning. Um, coming up on today's program, we will obviously be bringing you the regular news from around the region, but the feature interview in the second part of the program um, is a story about um, the the situation in the Northern Territory. So obviously listeners know about the um, Northern Territory intervention that resulted in firstly a whole swathe of human rights abuses but also the removal of quite significant personal agency for the people living there. At the moment, there's a real dire situation with um, poverty. And in fact, people are starving because the basics card, which compels people to um, purchase their groceries in a particular way, it, it, the entire system is breaking down. So people can't afford to buy food. So we're going to be speaking with Rosalie kunath Mangsarunti. She's an Aliawa uh, woman from Central Australia, just about the situation um, for people living there. But of course, uh, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Those details, Pierre. And you can find us on the web, uh, www.awl.org.au, or on Facebook or on Twitter. So you can get us in many different ways. And we've got an office in Trades Hall here in Melbourne as well. And, and a hello especially to all those people who are listening on podcast or web streaming as well. So should we go to the mini news already? And by the way, that sounds like a very interesting story that really we haven't heard um, much about lately, about the basic card and how... Um, they've been treated. But we'll go straight to a mini news where the first story will go to China, where earlier this week in Mayong, in the southern Chinese province of Guangdong, a crane collapsed on a building site, killing 18 workers and injuring another 50. While a gust of wind was indicated as the immediate cause for the crane's collapse, the reality is that in many Chinese workplaces, health and safety regulations are often not followed, leading to many deaths and injuries, as we have brought you before in this program. The, um, the creation of strong independent unions is the most effective way to ensure a safe workplace. Moving now to the Philippines, scores of Filipino workers employed at uh, Songyong Technology Industries. Actually, this might be from South Korea. Philippines. Just checking, Pierre's the person who prepared this. <laughs> um, uh, these Scores of these Filipino workers went on an indefinite strike this week at the Cavite Ebzo, um, which is the export processing zone in Rosario. The company produces semiconductors electronics products for major global companies. The workers are demanding the reinstatement of 20 workers fired for union activities, respect for the right to unionise and for labour standards on wages, overtime and health and safety to be applied by the 
company. The workers uh, have received strong support by other groups of workers. Actually, that is a South Korean company and one of the issues in the export processing zones in in uh, the Philippines is the number of South Korean electronics companies in particular. Uh, yes. Apologies, listeners, for the uh, earlier stuff up on that. That's all right. And, of course, the issue in a lot of these export processing zone uh, trade unions are banned. But we now go to um, another um, big issue facing um, our fellow unionists in Iran where uh, Iranian um, two imprisoned labor activists in Iran, Jafar Azim Zadeh and Ismail Abdi, have announced that they will start a hunger strike at the end of this month to coincide with, their, with May Day as an expression of their solidarity with workers worldwide. Jafar and Ismail, both of whom have been arrested for labor activities, have uh, released a statement protesting against the government's labor policies and the ongoing exploitation of workers in Iran. And we're able to get a link to this statement um, from tomorrow on our website. Unfortunately, um, Jafar and Ismail are only two of the many labor activists who are in jail for their supposed crime of trying to organize and improve workers' conditions. Moving now to Pakistan, it's been over three years since the fire at the Ali Enterprises garment factory in um, Baldia town in Karachi. That uh, factory caught on fire and killed over 250 of its workers. The fire was a direct result of the owner's total disregard for the health and safety of its workers. This week, rallies were held in many cities around Pakistan, calling for the owners to be brought to justice and for compensation to be played out. A coalition of labour and community groups have put forward a set of demands attacking both the companies involved and the Pakistani government for their failures over the last three and a half years. And of course, we know that um, those sorts of factory fires in garment factories, not just in Pakistan, across um, the Asia-Pacific are just rife. It is absolutely a need for massive international campaigning and support. That's right, an, an ongoing massacre of workers. And the next story is very much about uh, not a fire, but another major disaster, and it's the Rana Plaza. On the 24th of April 2013, the eight-storey Rana Plaza building in Dhaka, Bangladesh, collapsed. The owners of a number of the garment factories in the building had ignored the most basic set of safety regulations and forced workers to keep working when it was clear the walls were cracking. The confirmed death toll was um, a thousand, over 1,100 workers, with another 2,500 injured people rescued from the rubbles. Rana Plaza shows how little the fashion brands that produce their expensive clothes care about the life of their workers. Join us as we commemorate the workers killed and injured on the 24th of April 2013 in Sava, Dhaka, Bangladesh. There will be various um, activities all around the world, including here in Melbourne, there will be a silent um, vigil at 12.57, the Melbourne time of the collapse in um, in um, Dhaka. Uh, and it will be the Melbourne commemoration will be um, um, will be held on at 12.57 in Burke Street Mall in the city. And it is coming up to the um, fifth anniversary of um, Somiyot Prikasemsuk's imprisonment in Thailand. So uh, that will fall on the 30th of April. As many listeners know, Somiyot is one of the comrades that we're supporting. He 
was arrested under Thailand's draconian Les Majeste laws. Samyot is a journalist and a Labor activist. Thai activists are calling for supporters around the world to send letters to Somyot as a show of solidarity with him. Since a military coup of almost two years ago, the situation for human rights and Labor activists has increasingly gotten worse. The, um, and for our last um, item, we go to New Zealand, um, where the meat processor tallies AFFCO group of companies in New Zealand have a terrible health and safety record with workers continually suffering injuries at work. In addition, the companies actively minimise and hide many of these incidents. Labour activists and unions throughout the Asia-Pacific have taken action to show solidarity and support for the New Zealand Meat Workers Union. Unions in Bangladesh, Hong Kong, India, Indonesia, Pakistan, the Philippines and Thailand have recently taken action, involving workers across many global companies like Coca-Cola and Unilever. To counter the power of companies and industries that are integrated globally, workers also need to coordinate their action at a global level. And that's the end of the mini-news roundup for today. If you want um, more information about those stories or um, um, to follow up on them, you can contact us through our website or you and you can actually, they'll be up on our website um, um, from tomorrow evening so you can get more information about them. And of course you can see previous stories that we've um, run uh, on this show. But we're just coming at 10 past 9 o'clock. We'll have uh, some community announcements and then we'll be back with the interview uh, on the issue of the anti-intervention and the um, effects of the basic cards on um, Aboriginal people. Come and join Melbourne's top musicians as they show their support for human rights. The concert, Fearless Music, features political, protest and freedom songs written by the world's best fearless songwriters. Singers include Ross Wilson, Stephen Cummings, Cash Savage, Liz Stringer, Mark Seymour, Jane Clifton, Rob Snarsky, Sean Kelly and Lisa Miller. Fearless Music, Sunday May the 8th at 3pm at the Mimo Music Hall in St Kilda. Book tickets now at mimomusichall.com.au. Sponsored by Liberty Victoria, a 3CR supporter. Hey, this is Nick from Pinyara. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. It's 11 minutes past 9 o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. In 2007, the federal government intervened in the Northern Territory supposedly to deal with the rife pedophilia rings that were running in that particular state or territory. Of course, we know, and it has since been shown, that none of this was actually true. The reason for the intervention, as I said, was supposedly for child welfare and to protect women and children in the Northern Territory. But on just about 
every single measure possible, Aboriginal people have fared far worse than prior to the intervention. In relation to child welfare, attempted suicide and self-harm, school attendance, incarceration, unemployment, housing, domestic violence, alcohol, none of these things were improved by the Northern Territory intervention and it's clear that there is a very, very um, ulterior motive of the federal government for such a measure. One of the major issues that people are dealing with in the Northern Territory at the moment is the issue of the basics card, the imposition of which is actually making it impossible for people to live. Joining me on the program now is Rosalie Kunath-Mungsarunti. She's an Aliawa woman from Central Australia. Welcome, Rosalie, to the program. Thank you very much. So the, I know one of the issues that is most important for you to talk about um, at the moment is the issue of the basics card, and you're currently living under the Northern Territory intervention. Can you describe what it's like um, being bound to this basics card and, and how you're able to just live your, your ordinary life? It takes away from you any any um, human decision-making. It cuts right across your value systems, the age-old caring for other humans around you. Because usually in a clan group, you are closely interrelated. In your tribal group, which is larger still, um, you also care the, I think the most um, degrading, devaluing is that you are not allowed to think, you are not allowed to prioritise what is important in your lives and you have to just do as uh, the intervention or the basic card in purchasing what food you can purchase. It uh, it controls you. It controls you so completely. So the the reason the the stated reason for the basics card was to prevent people from spending all of their money on alcohol and to force people to spend money on food and nutrition instead. But this hasn't been uh, the reality on the ground. How is that so? It hasn't been a reality anyway because um, there's no alcohol out on so-called remote areas. You have to drive 250 kilometres into Alice Springs and if you're able to purchase any quantity of alcohol, um, you certainly don't get it back into the community unless you're taking back roads, sneaking, and by that time, most people have drank it anyway. But the, the, the myth that is perpetrated is that we're all drunks. I can assure you, uh, at camel camp, for instance, where there's about 35 to 40 people living, there is not one person that you can deem as being a drunkard. And I am quite sure when they come into Alice Springs with their basic card, 
they're able to get maybe some fruit and vegetables, which they can afford for that measly bit of Centrelink money. And petrol, of course, is the other thing, because uh, when you do a 500-kilometre round trip, you need that. So quite a bit of that money is spent on fuel and on whatever basic foods that you can afford with it. So it's a myth that um, communities are full of raving drunkards. That is a complete myth on a place like Camel Camp or uh, Soapy Bore or indeed any of the homelands on Utopia. One of the, I'm glad you mentioned Centrelink because, of course, the basics card is um, managed by Centrelink. And um, some of the stories we've heard coming out of the Northern Territory, Central Australia, is that if you want to know what the balance is on your basics card, you're basically forced to ring Centrelink. And people know how long those telephone queues are. So there have even been incidents where people have trolleys full of groceries. Um, The card's been declined because it's slightly over. The cost of the groceries is a little bit over what's left on the basics card. People can't find out what the balance is because the queues to ring Centrelink are so long. People are walking out of the supermarket not being able to purchase their groceries at all. Absolutely. Nor having the accounting skills to know you might have $58 and you're buying $150 worth of food, to have the indignity of holding up the queue, especially in Alice Springs, is, um, well, it's something so degrading. But as the little girl behind the till takes off half of what you've got in there, or even more, and then says, well, that's all you can afford. Now, what's been taken out of that trolley is not necessarily what you want taken out. So you're you're there in full view of everyone being stripped of what you had prioritized as what you needed for that week. And I've seen it time and time again, the indignity you really wish the earth would open up and swallow you. And these people have got a smattering of English, not too much. And it's very hard to apologize to the line-up that's behind you. It, It just should not be happening. It's disgusting, and if they can degrade Aboriginal people any further, I don't know what else they need to do. Obviously, one of the main reasons you and I have come to talk today is because of the basics card, and in fact, people are are starving at the moment because they the the how ineffective the basics card is to get people. Um, 
food and groceries and that sort of thing. And in a minute, we go, I'm going to give you an opportunity to um, make a call out to people to support and donate money. But before we do that, I wanted to look at some of these other measures of the Northern Territory intervention in terms of the detrimental impact it's had on communities living there. Um, and I wanted to look at incarceration rates and attempted suicide and self-harm, you know, two very clear um, indicators of, well, the, the, these particular issues have increased in occurrences um, as a direct result of the intervention. Um, what, what can you tell us about that? The intervention is varies from human rights anywhere in this godforsaken world, let alone in Australia. We can't, we, we cannot, and I'll categorically state this, unless you are assimilated to a certain extent and no longer living in your traditional um, country or indeed in your traditional language, you may not feel the effect of the intervention as much as the ones who say the land holds us. Amnesty did a fairly good job on that particular issue. The people that live on community, especially those that are 45 to 70 or 80 year old, it's um, it's unimaginable because you can't even explain yourself. But I, um, you know, I can look back over 70 years on this land and the richness of the relationships between people and you felt never alone because our social structure is not one that isolates a person, a family or a tribal group. That social structure was really so refined that the Mergadria, which which a lot of people use today, that Mergadria belonged to the country, and Kordingala. Kordingala was the keeper, the choreographer of the life that was lived on that particular part of the country. So we had almost the upper house and the lower house that is in the Westminster system that um, that controlled without you even knowing. That control was a sense of belongingness because the ceremonial life, the sharing of the food chain, everything was in place. Now, as the new world catches up with these people, they have not had the opportunity nor the commitment of the government of the day ever since settlement here of making people feel they belonged still. But people, because they were not aware of the complete takeover and the devastation which emerged through that intervention, were unable to express this. So the strength and security of our law and order 
uh, and that was as late as maybe 1990s in the Northern Territory anyway, took away our rights, our practice thereof. Therefore, it was an assault and it traumatised large numbers of peoples throughout those tribal lands. If we lived maybe on the perimeters of the white society, we were able to cope maybe a little bit better, but not really that much better. So that traumatization took away that, and it also rendered us as being adrift in our own country. Whether I am explaining it well enough for people to understand, I'm not quite sure. But that is, uh, was, and still is the practice in the Northern Territory. We have uh, public servants that come out and tick the right boxes to make sure we are living and drifting away from our security and from our feeling of belongingness on our land, they're doing the right thing. If we show any resistance, they then make sure they concentrate on you. Rosalie, that was um, quite uh, clear and understandable, so thanks for that. As, a, um, as another question, you've mentioned a lot of the issues, and I mean, here in Melbourne, we're very far away from uh, Alice Spring and some of your communities. In terms of resistance, in terms of opposition within um, these communities and within the general population in Northern Territory, is there a growing movement against the anti-intervention and the basic card? There has always been that. Ever since it was um, um, interpreted to, to my people at Utopia, this is the older group of people, uh, as soon as they became aware that they were accused of the insidious uh, pedophilia, because they didn't know what that meant, Within the, what I've described, the tribal setting, that did not happen. Now, the only time if it did happen was probably uh, in the uh, ghettos and fringe, fringe dwellings of a town such as Alice Springs, where alcohol and other forms of substance abuse was given or bought by Aboriginal people. That's when it became maybe that they heard somebody doing some atrocious thing like pedophilia. No, it wasn't pedophilia. It was, I guess, um, incest, but never a organised pedophilia as it was um, muted to people throughout Australia. Now, once the elders became aware of that, they were just absolutely traumatised and horrified. I think that, it... that was not that was not a um, an accident. It was 
it, that tragedy was unfolding through the policies of uncaring governments. And I think we as Australians, all of us, need to address that. I think the pedophilia rings and, and all of this supposed rife pedophilia in the Northern Territory has been exposed as an absolute lie. And, uh, you know, Rosalie, you're talking about how traumatic those accusations are for the communities. Uh, it really is a, a battle we must fight to end the Northern Territory intervention. Um, the uh, Immediately, though, because we're running out of time, unfortunately, um, the... Uh. The, the impact of the basics card has meant that a lot of people really are starving right now and I know that you're about to have a community meeting over there. That's what it sounds like all those phone calls are. Um, but yep. uh, before I let you go, can you, um, if people want to get in touch with you, donate some money so that you can raise some money to feed some people that uh, are starving in the communities right now, how will they get in touch with you? I think it's through the email didsey72 at dot com. At gmail.com. And we will advertise. Yeah. And we have what we call a lucra, which is the women taking responsibility um, through um, donations and that. We make sure when the need arises that we can utilise a little bit of the funds to buy, especially for the elderly and the children, a bit of food. Or that food has to be given with the sure knowledge that this is with love and respect rather than throwing bones or scraps at uh, unwanted dogs. We're going to advertise. That's not the way. We're going to advertise the bank account details and that email address so people can um, support you guys and the the broader campaign to end the Northern Territory intervention. Rosalie, thank you so so much for your time on the program this morning. Unfortunately, we are out of time, um, but we'll get uh, that story out there. Thank you so much for caring enough and interviewing me. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Rosalie kunath Saranti. She's an Aliawa woman from Central Australia talking about the impact particularly of the basics had but the Northern Territory intervention more broadly. That is all t- we've got time for on Asia-Pacific Currents this morning. And I'm Pierre Morrow. I'm Giselle Hanna. We'll be back next Saturday from 9 o'clock with more news and current affairs from the Asia-Pacific region. You're listening to 3CR. This is Billy X. Jennings of the Black Panther Party. Power to the people. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.